here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. The WWE on Monday night announced that in October the women would be getting their own pay-per-view. For that, we should applaud. Not that the announcement did not come without criticism, and most all of it was warranted from describing the pandering nature of the McMahons to the worst poochie dialogue of the male talent. Much like the announcements for Money in the Bank and the Women's Royal Rumble, the talent had hal- hollow staging and pandered right back in their glowing overreaction that you thought that they might face and heel together, do a group hug, and just yell, FEMINISM! But something that must be brought up when addressing Stephanie's announcement is that in her rush to be inclusive to the history of hashtag give divas a chance, the main roster women got that chance off the backs and hard work of the NXT horsewomen. They got a chance, and they dropped the ball. Since the hashtag movement, there's only been three matches that could be considered great in my opinion. The triple threat at WrestleMania for the women's title, and two matches by Charlotte and Sasha Banks, the last one occurring in November 2016. That's almost two years without a notable blowaway match. Don't get me wrong, they've over-delivered in some spots, like this year's Money in the Bank, which was pretty darn fantastic. But where are the memorable feuds the women aspire to have like their idols? I think a celebration of the history of the division has already happened this year. It was the Women's Royal Rumble. It was done well. Let it rest. There's no need to do it again. You have at least half of this year's Mae Young Classic more than capable of putting on great matches. Names like Satamura, Shirai, Perrazzo, Martinez, Storm. You have Kyrie Sane. You have Asuka. You have Mickey James. And you have the Horsewomen. You have women who can go. While I think women like Alexa Bliss, Carmella, and Nia Jax are necessary characters and great characters, and have all worked hard and deserve a place on this card, the best gift you can give to this division is not a total Divas feud or a Ronda Rousey coronation that gets ESPN coverage. The best gift you can give them is a few writers, time and space to build real feuds, and the chance to put on a real wrestling card of great matches that might get that buzz back. They want to be like the men, but they don't mean slapdash, half-baked 50-50 feuds that lead to meaningless pay-per-view matches. Trish and Lita may have been big names in the past, but this division and the Mae Young Classic were built on the Brooklyn outing of Sasha and Bayley. Becky putting in great performances in the Fatal 4-Way in her title match at TakeOver with Sasha, and Charlotte coming up big when the spotlight was on her. Give them the chance to succeed. You're listening to Shake Them Ropes with Jeff Harkin. This week on Shake Them Ropes, we're going to talk a little WWE, we're going to talk a little NXT, we're going to talk a little TNA. This might be a first for this show, other than the interview with Brodus Clay or Jeff Jarrett. And also we're going to talk a little old school NWA from June 22nd, 1985 with my better half of my improv duo, former Uproxx columnist, current Bon Vivant, and director and auteur, Brian James O'Connell. 
Let's start off with the WWE main roster first. Kind of went as we thought it would, didn't it? Roman Reigns gets the win over Bobby Lashley, and so for SummerSlam, we're getting the big Roman Reigns versus Brock Lesnar match that we've all been clamoring for. Sort of. Now, don't get me wrong, there are some creative ways to go about this if they wanted to, because the uh, the wrinkle in this is now the stipulation in the Braun Strowman versus Kevin Owens match that if Kevin Owens wins, no matter how, he gets the Money in the Bank briefcase. Now, let's think of the conventional way that they generally do these types of stories. You're going to have Brock Lesnar coming in, probably being booed because the company has healed him. You're going to have Roman Reigns coming in, probably also going to be booed, but that's through no real fault of his own. And what will probably happen, more than likely, is that Kevin Owens will win the briefcase early in the day by getting Braun DQ'd. Brock will lose to Roman. Kevin Owens, Brock will then beat up Roman. And then Kevin Owens will cash on Roman Reigns, once again, making Roman the sympathetic figure here. And I think in their minds, they think people don't like Kevin Owens. Mostly because he's bratty, but also he's the type of guy who shouldn't be champion in their eyes. I know that seems odd. But I think that's how they're, they view this. Now, there's some cool wrinkles you could always do with this. You could always have Braun be the, beat Kevin Owens and be the savior of the company after Brock Lesnar beats Roman Reigns. But then you have to beat Roman Reigns, and you've been building all the sympathy for him <laughs> for a number of years. So I don't know if that would work. You could have Brock beat Roman Reigns, you could have Kevin Owens come out, and you could have Kevin Owens be the savior of the company by having the McMahon somehow assist him in beating Brock Lesnar. That'd be an interesting little twist as well. You could have Ke you could have Roman Reigns beat Brock Lesnar, and Kevin Owens comes to cash in after Brock destroys him. You could fake the McMahons helping Kevin Owens get the belt back again, and have the McMahons help Roman instead, and then turn Kevin Owens' babyface. That would be the most interesting of your choices here. And that would be the most unconventional in their booking type of philosophy. I think that would be kind of awesome, to be honest with you. But I think you're going to kind of get the straight ahead here. I think you're going to have the... Once again, Roman is, by fate destined to have to struggle to get this championship and then once he does oh oh how the adoration will come flowers will be thrown at him children will bow at his very <laughs> weird here but i wonder what you do with bobby lashley now because he doesn't have a, a set guy that you can beat but drew mcintyre would be a very interesting program two big guys i think they now see they can beat Bobby Lashley and I think Bobby Lashley probably goes on to SmackDown sometime in the near future to get rebuilt maybe as a heel because heel Bobby Lashley was pretty darn cool but I think they see something in Drew McIntyre again uh, just judging by the way that they've been kind of booking him the way the crowds have been reacting and I think it'll be a fun program I, I, I'm very interested to see what they do with the Brock half of this main event because they could always 
you know, <laughs> they hold grudges in the WWE. We all know this. They could make Brock the anti-CM Punk here. The guy who's going to take the belt and run away, and people aren't going to like it. They could, and go to the UFC. They could do that. And that'd be a very, very interesting choice to how they word it, how they do this. Because they have to be very careful. Because the Brooklyn crowd is the Brooklyn crowd. They are a heel crowd. They are not a babyface type of, of, of group. Now, you're going to have a little bit more of a casual fan base at this show than you are, say, at NXT the previous night. But it's still, I mean, if you've watched the Raws, and this will not be a Raw crowd, this will be a family crowd enjoying a Sunday afternoon at the WWE event where smiles will happen on children's faces. So you're going to still get the kids and the women cheering for Roman. I'm just wondering if they yet again stop with the Roman finally overcoming everything and they go back to, well, now we're going to have him screwed by someone that people aren't going to like. And I think that's a dangerous proposition with Kevin Owens because people really like Kevin Owens. Over on the SmackDown side, Samoa Joe and AJ Styles. Give me that. Loved it in TNA. Loved it everywhere I've seen it. I'm still a little sore from not getting the great AJ Styles Nakamura match I was promised. The New Japan-style Dominion-type match. You know, I I really... Or New Year's or whatever. <laughs> I can't... I don't remember the New Japan events. But I'm all in for a nice AJ Styles versus Samoa Joe great match. And I hope AJ Styles has it in him within the WWE pattern. You know he has it in him. But can he can they work within the pattern that the WWE enjoys to get there? I loved the angle leading up to it. I thought it was very smart, very well done to kind of do it under the cover of the James Ellsworth quote-unquote firing. And I'm not so sure James Ellsworth is actually fired. I think it's just let's use him sporadically cuz I fully expect James Ellsworth to make an appearance at SummerSlam to try and help Carmella. So I don't think we've seen the last of him per se, but I think they realize as a week-to-week character, he is a weak character. And there's a problem with his kind of character. He is overbearing, and you'd expect him to get punched out at any time. And so you have to use that kind of character occasionally. I'm liking the Miz-Daniel Bryan build somewhat. I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for the next couple weeks when they really turn up the heat on this and they really start throwing barbs at one another. I think that's when it's going to really, really get cool. But if this is Daniel Bryan's last big program before leaving, I think it's going to, I think it's going to be a hot program. I do. I, 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 I fear though that it may not get the love it deserves because if he is leaving, they're going to be afraid it's too hot of a program and it might overwhelm the Brock Roman program. So you could see them, you know, you could see them WWEing it, as I like to say. You know, just just not as serious as it could be, not as heated as it could be. We don't want to overshadow the people who are staying, you know, just for this. And oddly enough, I think Daniel Bryan's going to lose this program. I do. I think 
they see the money in the Miz in terms of him as a television property with the reality program. I think the in their minds we're going to make him strong and we're going to have him do this and then they'll probably tie it into the reality show somehow. The big news in WWE this week, to me at least, wasn't even on the main roster. It was in NXT, where we have a new NXT champion, Tommaso Ciampa. Or Ciampa. I can't I can't get myself to say Ciampa. I have to say Ciampa. This match was awesome. And it's ballsy to put to change your world championship on just a television show as opposed to a big event. But I like it. I like doing those types of things. I'd even start changing titles at house shows again because then it gives people a reason to go and i i really am a a big supporter of that i don't think you change the titles too much but i think you open the possibility of the titles changing anywhere at any time so you have to go see these shows but as it is the match itself was great the psychology of johnny gargano being the one to end up making his worst nightmare come true The one man he didn't want to get the world title is just, it's fantastic. It really was. And look, we have to give some props now to Tommaso Ciampa. Because I said some things when he came in that I thought, I I was concerned when he came in. He looked small when he came in. He was still had that mohawk and he looked like just kind of a small guy playing wrestler a bit and then he started to change his look and he started to do the diy thing and now he's jacked which the injury kind of helped him to go back to the gym and start getting a little bit more chiseled than he was not that he was out of shape before but now he's just he looks bigger he's that brown color of football which is kind of awesome he has that straggly beard with a little bit of the gray in it, and he's let his body hair grow. He's scuzzy, and I like heels that are scuzzy. It's kind of a throwback when you think about it. It's very old school, you know. Guys don't have a lot of body hair anymore in that fashion. They tend to shave it down so that you can see definition. But Champa is scuzzy, and he's a scuzzy heel, and he fights, and he's vicious, and he's mean, and it's a nice change of pace from the I'm just happy to be here, or the, or even with Almas when he was the champ, it was more of a pretty boy, I'm going to beat you with my athleticism rather than with my cunning and my toughness, and I really, really like this program. I think it's going to turn into a three-way at Brooklyn, which I haven't read spoilers, so I haven't been spoiled on any of this, which is a wonderful feeling to have occasionally to come into this fresh and not know what was going on. I didn't know about the title change because I didn't read about the tapings because I've been so busy with the new job. So for all the people complaining about, you know, this coming out later in the week, you get me with fresh eyes watching it as a fan. And I I loved this program. I'm not the biggest fan of Aleister Black in the world. I know a lot of people are. His entrance is fantastic. I still... I don't attribute it to him necessarily because I think some of the guys he's worked with, maybe it just hasn't clicked as well. You know, Lars Sullivan is a is a case for anybody to have to do a lot of heavy lifting, and I thought he did quite well in it. I just... There's something that's a disconnect between 
the badass wrestler, and then when they put him in the suit and he's talking. And I, I'm not quite sure what it is. It's not that he's lost toughness, perhaps. I think it's possibly just he has a bit of a soft-spoken voice. Um, but I think at TakeOver Brooklyn, I think... I think he benefits probably from Gargano and Champa just being so honed in on each other that he steals a win and gets the title back, I think. Unless he's getting brought up to the main roster, in which case I'm happy to see Champa be chased by Gargano. It's going to be a little bit like the Eddie Edwards story, I think, in TNA, and we'll get to that in a moment. But I think overall, uh, this is a positive for TakeOver going in, because I think it needed a little bit more than just good matches. It needed a really solid program with some heat, and he couldn't go back to just the straight Gargano-Champa match. They've been doing that way too often. So I'll be interested to see how the rest of the card fills out. I'm thinking the EC3 Velveteen Dream match is going to happen. It's going to be interesting. Um, But... I put all my faith in NXT takeovers. I'm I'm really looking forward to this. And I'm I'm also thinking that from the episode this week, the seeds of the war games for November, of which your boy got his tickets. Very excited. Cause I think it's gonna be probably be Mustache Mountain and Dunn versus the Undisputed Era versus War Raiders and Ricochet. And I think that's gonna be an awesome, awesome match. So this week, as well, I watched TNA Slammiversary, and I loved this show, guys. I absolutely adored this show. It's not as good as, say, New Japan Dominion this year, but it's a solid, solid pay-per-view. It's probably in my top two or three this year, definitely. And the reason why is the old-school feel of it. All of these matches, even if they weren't the greatest matches in the world felt like it had a program attributed to it, with the exception of the opener, which is kind of a WCW Nitro era style, you know, just get the crowd up and and cheering. And, you know, just a lot of flips, a lot of moves. The return of one Johnny Impact to the promotion after, after well, he wrestled Ty out here in in a small little kind of theatrical type of thing, but, you know, he was also filming Survivor at the same time. So, you know, I really liked that match, but the one-on-one matches and the tag team matches all had feuds, all had reasons, and these felt like blow-offs, or at least the type of blow-off that will lead to an even more vicious match. That LAX versus LAX feud, that's almost the modern equivalent of Midnight Express versus Midnight Express, but it also kind of folds in what ECW was doing in the mid-90s with the public enemy and the gangsters and the Samoan gangster party, but it feels more real. And the vignettes really got that across. And and I agree with Joe Lanza 100%. Loved this feud. Loved the vignettes. It has a bit of a street quality to it, which it's supposed to, which, you know what? You never know. You might get younger fans enjoying that kind of thing versus kind of the, as a almost a protest vote to what the WWE does now, which is very... It's very sterilized, the WWE. When you get blood, you're immediately trying to stop it. Here, all these matches felt like that there was some heat and some viciousness to it underneath. And that's what I want in my wrestling. And that's why I loved this show so much. These felt like teams or people that were angry at one another. 
and they went in there and they just killed each other. The, the last three matches, the LAX versus LAX, the Callahan versus Penta, Gone Jr. match, and then the Austin Aries versus Moose match. I was pacing like Joe Lanza on meth. I was just, oh, this is so, I was screaming a little bit, you know, howling. Loved it, loved it, loved it, loved it. The Tommy Dreamer versus Eddie Edwards blow off felt like that kind of, you know, it felt like a Legends type of match that you put on, you know, in a mid 90s WCW pay per view where the old guy comes back and just does what he can, but he puts over the young guy. I thought that was great. I thought, and you know what? It wasn't the best match on the card, but Madison Rain versus Sue Young, if that's the goodbye to Madison Rain, I love it. Because in this day and age, the longtime employees, you know, they get the applause. Oh, thank you so much. The standing ovation. I like kind of the old school feel of, you know what? She was put in a casket and we're never going to see her again. And I like that aspect to it. I like the finality of it. I hope they don't go back on it. They probably have by the time you're hearing this. But, you know, I liked that kind of, oh, okay. So she's dead on the television show and we'll never see her again. Okay, that's kind of cool. You know, that's ballsy. And one other thing I really liked about the TNA thing that people criticized, but that one camera angle, you know, kind of at a 45-degree angle looking down at the ring. And I'm watching it, and it's driving me insane. And I know I, I, I think it's weird, but at the same time, it looks vaguely familiar. And I'll tell you what it was. Those of you who are children of the 80s, like myself, and even if you're not, Joe Gagne over on his Wrestling Arcade, where he reviews wrestling video games, go look up Bop and Wrestle. This is the exact camera angle from the video game Bop and Wrestle for the PC, which drove me nuts as a kid. But watching it in real time, I'm, it was surreal once I realized that. I, and it was kind of awesome in a way. I know it drove some people nuts, but I, you know, shout out to my childhood. I liked it. And I also want to put over the the commentary of Josh Matthews and Don Callis, because I've never really liked both of them in different situations. Josh Matthews playing heel was just tacky to me, but here he played it very, very straight, and he did a good job, I thought. And Don Callis kind of toned down the things I don't like about Don Callis doing New Japan, where he's a little too in on the joke, where his jo- he's really trying to throw out the one-liners and then, you know, as we say in comedy, smell his own farts. And he wasn't doing that here. He was He was an interested observer giving critical color commentary and also giving emotion when there was a brutal spot or two, like during the Callahan Pentagon Jr. match, where they're hitting each other with spikes. And God, God loves Sammy Callahan. He got he got his uh, he got his in ring karma when he got whacked with a baseball bat when Pentagon missed. And, and but man, that thing was bloody and brutal and violent and awesome. It felt like an old-school, early 80s Starcade where every match had a stipulation, every match kind of had blood, and every match kind of felt like a reset and a blow-off, even though that should be probably what Bound for Glory does. But man, this Slammiversary show, if you're not knee-deep in the G1, if you're kind of waiting for the main roster to get heated up for the SummerSlam push, and you got three hours of time, well worth seeking out this match. We'll be, this match, this card, this entire card. Good job to TNA. 
I want them to be a viable promotion where people can go to succeed, where people get the buzz outside of just the bloated and overwhelming market share of the WWE. Ring of Honor's on a bit of a cool streak. I'd like to see them join with ROH and, and New Japan on this card in Madison Square Garden, but you know what? Politics is going to be politics. But at the same time, TNA also acknowledges that their people work elsewhere. They acknowledge that Madison Rain worked in Women of Honor, or in Ring of Honor for the Women of Honor Championship. I was stunned by that. I think there's something here with this kind of the second-tier promotions and with the influx of New Japan that could be really awesome. But much like Crockett back in the day and the other smaller NWA promotions when WWE went to national expansion, I just think everybody wants their own fiefdoms. Everybody wants the market share for themselves and think that they're going to be the one to conquer the champ. Whereas if you kind of humble yourself and lower yourself a bit, you might be able to, together, get a nice, nice number two out of all these. Be right back to watch some NWA from June 22nd, 1985 with Brian James O'Connell. A little bit of a warning on this one, guys. Uh, my Skype kind of went in and out a bit. I think it might have been on Brian's end. It might have been on my end, but uh, sometimes the audio will get choppy here on this. But for the most part, there's some good content to this, and I hope you'll stick with it. Shake Them Ropes is back with a first. A guest I book can finally make it on a time I can record. Here to geek out with me about NWA 1985, former writer at UpRocks, my improv partner, and close confidant, Brian James O'Connell. Brian, how are you? How are you, brother? I'm doing okay. You popped uh, in and out there for a moment. Uh, so, we watched NWA from June 22nd, 1985. That is correct. Yeah, that is right did, in my sweet spot. Okay, when did you become a fan of the NWA? Because we both grew up, you grew up in North Carolina, I grew up in Virginia. Uh, or maybe, you know what, I'll just let you uh, say how you got into this whole wrestling thing. Uh, yes, I grew up, uh, I was born and raised in High Point, North Carolina. Uh, I am pure Piedmont triad all the way through. I was born in Greensboro Hospital, raised in High Point, went to college in Winston-Salem. Uh, so that is that is my place. And on uh, Saturday mornings, uh, like every other good uh, North Carolinian, you woke up and uh, you watched cartoons. And then after cartoons, you watched Mid-Atlantic Wrestling, uh, Jim Crockett Promotions, NWA, National Wrestling Association, uh, like a good boy. And so I think I got in... Probably they. I think once they moved into the studio, I don't think I was watching in '81 or '82 when they were still uh, doing the television tapings in that studio. But I was definitely, I was definitely in by '83. Oh, okay. And 80- you, got, you got in even before yeah. I did because I didn't get in until '84 when I was a little older. But I remember, yeah, like where I grew up on one of the UHF channels at like two o'clock, you had Mid Atlantic, and then at like midnight on the ABC affiliate, you had Worldwide. So you, so we got both syndicated programs on Saturday where I lived. Yeah, I mostly got. I had to look up the worldwide one because I actually ended up watching uh, six twenty two eighty five on the WWE Network. And yeah. I was like, I don't think this matches up with what Hawkins and I were talking about. So I actually went and looked for because uh, it was Mid Atlantic. So I actually went and found the worldwide uh, episode uh, on YouTube in a four parter. So it's funny because it's a lot of the same angles and a lot of the same footage, but like. 
I was like, oh, I'm glad I looked into this because the Road Warrior stuff wasn't on the Mid Atlantic thing on the on the network. So I was like, oh, good. There's even more great oh, stuff. Oh, wait, you can talk well, because no, I watched the one on the network. That's oh, the they're good. We can talk about both then. Okay, good because you can fill me in on the gaps because that that's one of the more angering things to me is like I went and watched. 84 and i'm watching the flair versus tully mm-hmm. angle which really got me into wrestling the first time you know and and there's like there's there's promos and stuff that i'm like i know i've seen them before and i know it was around this time but but nope they were on the other show which is just yeah and, and, and it'd be sometimes where they'd mix and match where like two weeks later you'd get a clip from the other show and you'd be like Okay, now it's starting to make sense here, but it'd be like one of those things where they backtrack from time to time. But uh, yeah, let's uh, let's start. Yeah, what was it? What was oh. interesting? Go ahead. Yeah, let's get into it. Oh, yeah, no, I was just saying it's like it was. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, uh, it was just interesting going back into the day uh, and, wa- and watching. So in these particular feuds leading up to the Great American Bash, uh, like we were talking about last night, I had forgotten that uh, this was one of those times where Ric Flair was like cleaner, where like he was still doing like the stunt and stuff like that, but they were, you know, he was still calling out like Magnum TA and Dusty Rhodes, but they were leading it into uh, it was the beginning, the end of the Buddy Landell feud and the beginning of the Nikita Koloff feud. And I was like, oh, that's right. He's kind of like, people are like cheering him. He's kind of the face here, but he's still like shitting on Dusty and Magnum TA, which is very heel in, you know, 1985's in Atlanta. So I was like, oh, that's right. He's kind of like a tweener, like early days. It was just, it was fun to watch Ric Flair sort of like navigate, like thread that needle. Yeah, no, this was the time when he was kind of going back and forth, like he, you know, depending on where they need him. And this was really the last year that that kind of happened. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, so so the show starts with a clip of a match between Manny Fernandez and the Barbarian, two two men I, I love just deeply, especially the Barbarian. But the clip here is Manny Fernandez at the end of this match gets in a three-point stance and does a suicide dive over the top rope and it freeze frames. And in 1985, this is mind-blowing. I mean, you see guys do it every week now in 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 wrestling but but a guy of Manny's size and we'll get to his gimmick when we get to his promo but uh what are your thoughts just from the get go on this one yeah it's sort of fun because uh like when you see the three point stance you're like oh that's right i i forgot that Manny Fernandez for all intents and purposes is the classic gimmick of ex football player turned you know professional wrestler that kind of thing but they've never Manny, they never did the big, like, it wasn't like, you know, like, uh, what is it, the, like the Steiners or anything like that. They weren't doing, like, what was the, like, was, uh, it was Steiner and then uh, Mike Rotunda and Kevin Sullivan. And what Dan, were they called? Dan, Dan Spivey, yeah, the, the Varsity and, Club. Yeah, they, they weren't doing, like, the Varsity Club. They weren't really pushing that or, like, how they did with, like, Dr. Dr. Death, Steve Williams. But I was like, oh, that's right, Manny Fernandez played in West Texas. Like, he played... Uh, he played with Tully Blanchard and like Tito Santana and a bunch of other guys. Uh, so when he got into the three point stance, I was like, "Oh yeah, that's right." And then when he uh, when he took off, I was like, "Oh shit, that's right." He like as Manny is so good to do, kind of goes into business for himself every once in a while and does like a little fancy stuff. I was like, "Oh, that's all the Puerto Rican shit right there." Like well, that's him. 
I'm just imagining that. what the yeah. barbarian was thinking, seeing Manny Fernandez <clears throat> jump over the top rope like this. And also, the other thing is, I wonder if he made it because I think his feet catch the top rope on the way down. That's probably why the freeze frame happened. <laughs> I'm, sh- I'm sure the barbarian was thinking of like one of two. I'm thinking like, bro, what are you doing? <laughs> like. I'm like we're just supposed to like run and hit each other. Like I don't I don't catch people because like, he usually doesn't fight guys that have fights like the Road Warriors or Ming, where it's just dudes like slobber knocking each other. And probably the other thing the barbarian was thinking about is how he could sneak away and get a beer with Manny Fernandez, because uh, you know I, I think it was like the barbarian's wife. Like apparently the barbarian when he drank he got mean and he fought, and his wife was always like very big about like don't you let barbarian, and they're all like we won't we won't. But then, like, he's the barbarian. What are you, you going to tell him he can't have a beer? Like, Well, yeah, and, and Manny, you know, Manny has his army background, so he was always oh. kind of, you know, on edge and was willing to mm-hmm. go into a fight, too. Uh, oh, yeah, but, that's that's how he got the nickname, right? The Raging Bulls, because he was just starting too many fights, and eventually, like, was it Crockett or was it Bill Watts who was like, look, I, if you don't stop fighting, I'm going to have to fucking let you go. So, like, knock it off. Had to be Crockett at this at this point. Yeah, time, probably. Or maybe yeah. even Dusty in Florida. But uh, we, we start with a Manny Fernandez. <laughs> we start yeah. with a Manny Fernandez squash, and I'll tell you that the move in this thing that I love, because it looked like Manny just wanted to get out of there after the cross body. He's mm-hmm. out of the ring real quick, but I loved that leapfrog into the drop-down toehold move he did, I would love to see oh, somebody yeah. steal that thing off because for a guy of his size to do something like that, I mean, that that was impressive. There was a there was a couple of drop-tops because uh, I, I watched both. I'm a sucker. I'm a sucker for a good drop-top hold, right? Like, it's one of the things where it's like, whether you like the gimmick or not, it was definitely a product of his time and Pearl Jam and all that. But like, I think Raven's got one of the prettiest, and I just yeah. love that little. Especially when you do the like, goes onto the dress. Like, I want to talk more about this sweet, sweet mid Atlantic. Yeah. So we we also after the match we go to Johnny Weaver and Bob Cottle. Now I <laughs> I love Bob Cottle. Bob mm. Cottle to me is is the quintessential type of announcer you know kind of in the lance russell mold he oh I, yeah i, I always say sure. he, he's your uncle and he doesn't get too he doesn't get very angry or animated but when he gets mm-hmm. angry or animated he starts to oh i'm so di-, he, he shames you he goes oh i'm disappointed in you and you oh, feel the, it oh the tully we'll talk about it in a minute but the tully blanchard trouble yeah. uh Parma, where he's just he leads it off where he's just like i just gotta say i'm just i'm just i'm just so disappointed in in the actions you took tully which is hilarious because tully blanchard is the scummiest of scumbags <laughs> what were you expecting from yeah, tully blanchard coddle unfortunately is a product of his time from time to time mm-hmm. I, I don't know if you knew this about him he used to work for jesse helms oh i didn't i just i just read uh a a a really big long like a long article about jesse helms that i'm about halfway through so he might come up at some point i don't think he did i think he worked in like the communications office he was kind of a low-level guy but then he did this but uh also johnny weaver i you know what johnny weaver during my fandom was always he was always the guy that heels would come in and beat in their first feud and yeah. God knows, HD is not kind to Johnny Weaver with the horizontal <laughs> cuts. Oh man! Oh god! If you want to, so s- I have a. Oh, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Sorry. No, I was just saying I have a. 
we just started talking about announcers and stuff, and we were talking about Great American Bash. Uh, I have the you know the Pro Wrestling Illustrated one, and it's open. It's it's Bill Apter and Gordon Soley doing it from you know the television station. It's just mm-hmm. it's not the whole match; it's just clips. And there's nothing to this day. Nothing makes me laugh harder from an announcer than Bill Apter going uh, Magnum TA and his devastating belly to belly souple, and he does the <laughs> French pronunciation that always makes me laugh yeah no uh if you want to see a great angle go watch tully when he slaps johnny weaver while he's on color commentary that's also an 84 and and it, it's weird because now we get into the angle that was happening kind of on the mid card uh dusty mm-hmm. Rhodes versus tully blanchard and tully blanchard has procured the services from paul jones of one abdullah the butcher making this a fantastic team in the hawkins canon of guys that he likes because i love me some abdullah the butcher and during this match between Dusty and Magnum yeah. versus go Tully ahead, and Abdullah, uh, Baby Doll mm-hmm. confronts D- Dusty, and uh, as they say, he exposed her, Brian. Yes, he did. Uh, I remember watching back. I remember distinctly because, like that Great American Bash is still one of my favorites, and I have most memories of it. So I distinctly remember this angle and all these matches and all these television uh, episodes very uh, distinctly. And uh, there is so much problematic shit <laughs> in all of this. <laughs> you have the face, like, and nobody is more over than Dusty Rhodes. Everyone knows that. You have the face ripping a dress and exposing the breast of the heel woman, and somehow that gets him cheered. You have Abdullah the Butcher, who is, like, the big dangerous black savage. During the Tully promo, he doesn't even, like, he like with his back to the camera and then slowly turns around and he's chewing on a towel like Jerry Tarkanian. And then the whole food, like then you have Jimmy Boogie Woogie man, Valent giving his, uh, his street mama, his old lady two dusty roads. And she basically says, I'm going to fuck you whenever you want. Like I have sex with you, <laughs> uh, whatever you want. And then it all cumulates with him. Like the stipulation, the stip, of the match is if Dusty wins, he gets to own Baby Doll for 30 days. There's so much wrong with this. Yeah, you try and show this to like millennials, and they just go, "This is this is wrong. We can't be watching this. They were such savages back in the day." But <laughs> it was a different time. It was a different time. Yeah, and speaking of different time, this ends with Baby Doll eventually coming back in a different wig, and one of my favorite gimmicks ever: throwing the flash paper fireball. Into mm-hmm. Dusty's face, and it it starts because it's funny. I'm gonna I'm gonna juxtapose this with the stuff I was watching in '84 from a couple weeks ago on here. Sure, this is a Dusty trope where oh, something yeah. heinous happens to Dusty. Dusty leaves for two months. He comes back and he cuts an awesome fiery baby face promo about what the business means to him, and then oh, he yeah. challenges a guy to a fight. It, it, yeah. It's fantastic, but like in '84, he did this with Kamala, who wasn't oh, yeah. seen in, who wasn't seen in the promotion until he came back for the Magnum match this next year, mm. and and uh, <laughs> and God knows, Dusty, <laughs> Dusty had that Roman Reigns problem when they were early pushing Roman mm. in the WWE, where he wanted to be all things to all people. So not only is he the tough alpha male, but he's also the married man, but also the mm-hmm. ladies man. So he's like, mm-hmm. he's like this happy family man. Who's also given this street woman to do with whatever he pleases. And it's, it's, it's whatever the, you will. 
Yeah, it's the weirdest juxtaposition of everything. Uh, tell me what you thought of this Dusty promo. Uh, well, uh, first of all, yeah, just to go off what you were saying for a second, like that was from the, the he wrestled in cowboy boots, and the white people were like, "He's one of us. He's Texan. He's cowboy." But he would also like, you know, that famous promo with him and Vince McMahon when he went to WWWF, like way back in the day, it was him and superstar Billy Graham, and they were both taking turns seeing which one of them could dress and speak more like a black woman <laughs> than the other guy. Uh, well, like, it's funny enough because, uh, yeah, the, the throw the flash paper into the eye gimmick uh, always worked for Dusty. It worked so well that it worked even better when they had Cornette and the Midnight Express do it to Ronnie Garvin, which led to what I like to call the greatest fluid master in the history of professional wrestling cinema, everyone look it up on YouTube. You'll be, you'll be welcome for it. It's a uh, go to YouTube and uh, just type in uh, the Garvin's reunite and you're welcome. Uh, I love this dusty promo. It's my second favorite dusty promo of all time. Number one is always going to be hard times yeah. now and forever. That is, that is the going to the final four of, you know, that's him, Austin 316. It's always going to be that. This second one, we're like, I am the judge and the jury. And then that, like, very brief amount of moment where he was like, Is there another word for that executioner? I can say? Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. That I can say for the alliteration. And so, of course, it, like, he comes the. He becomes peak dusty. He was like, I am the judge and the jury and the Angman. There's no <laughs> H and there's no N. <laughs> it's just Angman. Uh, and my third Dusty promo uh, of all time, my favorite, is the taped one where he dressed. This is back in the 70s in Florida when he was going up against Pac Song, the big, uh, right after he had uh, turned face and was going up against the big Vietnam guy and the height, uh, like we were, like the height of, you know, we had just in the Vietnam War. And it is a, it's him doing Marlon Brando from Apocalypse Now, staring off into the middle yes. distance in a darkened room. Oh my God, that that doesn't nearly get enough credit for Dusty Rhodes uh, promos. So this one is a as soon as it came up again, I was like, Oh, I love this promo. It's one of my favorite. Where he takes off the glasses real quick to show how messed up his eye is. Uh, it's beautiful. Yeah, th there's nothing better than the bad makeup jobs that they did for injuries back in this mm -hmm. day. The worst one being when uh, Tully Blanchard and Arn attacked Bobby Eaton during that short-lived feud, and he basically has a th Bobby Eaton basically has like smuckers on his face. Oh for yeah, a promo. <laughs> it's fantastic. But next we go to Arn Anderson and mm. Denny Brown. Arn, oh, man. Arn still in his wearing crazy hats phase. He, oh, the this, fedora. I love the fedora. This is this I is the fedora it. that he and uh, both he and uh, Jerry Stubbs wore this in, mm -hmm. in in Georgia when they were a tag team. So this is the look from there. It was this was the time when he was either doing the fedora or the Yankees cap. Yeah, the horseman yeah, yeah, yeah. hadn't quite yet. And Denny Brown, God love him, the NWA Junior Heavyweight Champion, the worst feud in the NWA during this mid eighties that I hated yep. the most as a child was him and Nelson Royal. And I never appreciated <laughs> Nelson Royal until I watched some of his continental stuff as a heel. Cause to me, he was always that 50 year old cowboy who was just drone on and couldn't talk in this league of talkers. But you know, they, they did. I mean, they gave Denny some offense against Arn Anderson. This is when he's kind of, he's with Ole at this time. And they're really building themselves as the national tag champs going to the Great American Bash. Uh, any other thoughts uh, about Arn here? Oh, uh, well, you know, 
Double A is one of my favorites of all time. He's just the the consummate professional, the wrestler's wrestler. Uh, and it was, and he, as Eric Moneypenny has always liked to say, uh, Arn Anderson has been uh, forty five years old his yes. entire life. Yes. He came out the womb looking that way. He still looks that way. Still looks the best of all the horsemen. Uh, my favorite part of this is because it's such a perfect Arn Anderson match. He gives just enough the heat to the babyface to make them look good, even if it's a jobber, right? Even if it's junior heavyweight champion, which means nothing. <laughs> uh, and like his cells of like, where like he like squints his eyes and like, <clears throat> like just shakes his head back and forth. Yeah. And then of course at the end, he just trucks the dude. And like the, the pin, the pin effort at the end where he like just trucks him, uh, and then the you know the announced team is like, well, that didn't turn out very well for Denny. And there's a split second where Arn decides whether or not he's going to like actually pin him or do some more uh, do some more punishment. And he goes, yeah, I'll, fine, I'll pin him. So like the ref is even there, like you're on top of him, but is this a pin? And that's like that's the tiny stuff that Arn Anderson does better than anyone else on the planet. I yeah. love it, love it, love it. Yeah, nothing made me happier than when the revival <clears throat> brought back the Gourd Buster because I think that's just such a great move. <laughs> I mean, oh uh, man, next eight so good. My my oh, go ahead. well, real quick, just my favorite thing about Arn Anderson is the uh, the the reverse atomic drop is perfect he delivers that perfectly the, the gourd buster is great but that reverse atomic drop he does is perfect and then when people when the baby faces turn around and use his own move on yes. him he sells it he sells it like death oh it's he so sells, great oh so good so good now I've, I've, i assume this might be your favorite vignette on this whole show was was the low-key message to dusty rose from <clears throat> jimmy valiant who's always at the behest <laughs> Of Paul Jones and Paul Jones Army, because I know, because I've seen you do this impression, <laughs> oh, yeah. boogeyman. <laughs> oh God, it is so good. He is one of my favorites still to this day. He's he shouldn't work. That gimmick shouldn't work. He's not a great worker, but he's. You talk about like being over. He's pushed as the guy from New York City, and at that day and age in North Carolina, being from New York City, my, you might have just been the devil. Like no, like so. Nothing about him should work. But he should totally work. And I love this promo. Just boogeyman is down <laughs> because his street, because his street brother is down. Dusty roads, my street brother, with all the street people, and it's, and they cut the footage of those terrible vignettes of like. Him driving around town looking for uh, looking for his big mama, and she talking like, "How you doing?" And thankfully, they didn't bring in any of the audio from her acting. But yeah, when he shows up and he's got the big beard, the big cowboy hat, the t-shirt with the funny writing on it, like the press-ons from back in the day, late seventies, early eighties, and sitting backwards on a chair with a microphone, can't see his eye. And it's down. It's so it's so good. <clears throat> can't yeah. teach that anymore hawkins <laughs> I, I just want to know between him michael hayes and dusty Rhodes, how many white trash baby faces did cultural appropriation of african-american culture because it just seems like that was the go-to oh yeah and michael <laughs> hayes did the entire time while wearing a sparkly rebel flag <laughs> like you go back and watch the opening of uh highlander like he's wearing that in in Madison Square Garden, and people are loving it. Like he slow, Michael P.S. Hayes like slowly takes it off and shows how like his sexy chest. I'm like, 
There's so many problematic things. <laughs> so many. Yeah, now a rarity, a Ric Flair television squash match on syndication and king mm-hmm. of the king of the mechanics, George South. I love oh, George yeah. South in cuz th- this dude would sell for everybody and he's a trainer today around your hometown. Oh, love yeah? him to death. Yeah, no yeah, he tra- it- he trained Tessa Blanchard. Oh yeah, for sure. Have you seen the George South documentary? No, not yet. Yeah, you can find it's on free for uh, it's free. It's on YouTube. I think George South like helped make it, but it's not like a, a glowing thing. But is it's it's all about how like yeah, he was the best jobber of all time. Everybody wanted to work with him. Like there's interviews with a ton of people, and they're all like, George South is the best. George South is the guy. Jim Cornette is like, yeah, when we we knew we we knew if we had George South there that you know we we could get a pretty good tape and. Other guys, you'd have to be like, all right, can you take an arm drag? And what I really love about this match is, like, you can tell just from what Ric Flair is letting happen and doing that, like, how much he respects George South. Also, it's probably one of the last times that Ric Flair had, like, noticeable six-pack before the drinking really sort of, like, started taking that away. I was impressed when he, like, he took off, when Ric Flair took off the robe and he had, like, I was like, oh, there's the six-pack. I can see it. My my favorite part of this match was was Johnny Weaver pulling a Don Meredith turn out the lights the party's over oh yeah <laughs> um but there there's a point to this squash match that we'll get to get to later yeah. but it was it was oh, just kind of go ahead yeah, can I put can I put over George South real quick my favorite part of that entire match is that he's got uh, Ric Flair's got him in the corner he's doing the chops and all that kind of stuff and he gives him like sort of like a palm strike to the nose and the 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 facial that George South does, oh, and like puts his puts both hands on either side of his nose and then just like flops forward of like, that's the most devastating thing that's ever happened to my nose. Go back and watch. It's a perfect facial. Like, that's what they teach you. Like when you talk about selling and stuff like, oh, it was perfect. I'm going to I'm going to track back a bit. My favorite thing about that, that uh, that that valiant promo was when they go back to Dusty and while Dusty's talking, Cottle's just reading his notes <laughs> on screen. Yeah. Check that out when you get the chance. But uh, oh, yeah, for sure. You know what? As much as I love George South, King, King of the Jobbers <laughs> might be Mike Jackson, the Alabama he- junior heavyweight champion, <laughs> quote unquote. That's, that's a fair point. Love that's that, a fair dude. Point. But to uh, make that argument. George South would be one A. And, mm-hmm. and next we get Manny Fernandez promo. And look, the dude says brother or daddy more than any wrestler on God's green earth. But during this promo, I came to an epiphany about him. Now, now say what you will. He is a stocky dude who did aerial moves, the likes of, that mm-hmm. most guys in one do. He did. He had the mullet with the blonde patch in it, which for me will always warm the cockles of my dark heart. Mm-hmm. And he did mixed he did martial arts moves at the same time as a Hispanic wrestler. Yeah, he did like karate chops and yes. shit. It was crazy. And I've come to the conclusion, I figured out what his gimmick was, <clears throat> and this promo solidified it because he makes a lot of references to it. Because he is he is a Vietnam veteran. He is channeling oh, yeah. first blood in this promo. He is John Rambo, and that's yep. his gimmick. When he was over in the Orient, he had to learn martial arts oh, to yeah. survive. So I realized then that's his gimmick is is the Vietnam veteran who, who had to learn martial arts over there to survive. I just went, oh, my God, I'd never realized this about Manny Fernandez before. And he's such a – I mean, he's obviously glomming Sylvester Stallone and, and the first blood stuff here, mm-hmm. even though I, I don't – I forget what year that movie came out. Was it 85? Or am I a little bit 
or was it a couple years after? Oh, like first 83? blood. Yeah. I know. I believe it was eighty five because okay. uh, remember, uh, number t- number two was like eighty seven or eighty eight. There's like they took. Yeah. It took more time between sequels back then. I absolutely 100% agree with you. He's always been – it's always the Vietnam veteran because you know, they always put that over in, in – uh, uh, Tony Schiavone always – oh, Manny Fernandez in the ring, the Vietnam veteran. Like he's always bringing it up. And I was, there's a little bit of like biker gang in there as well oh. just because of the leather vest. Oh, you know what it was? No. Yeah. First, First Blood came out in 82. Rambo, ah. Rambo came out May 22nd, 1985. Oh, and so this is. is since this is June '85. That's why yep. he's doing that. Yeah. If there had been a couple, if I had been around at the time, if I was, if you and I were in creative, uh, I would have definitely done a vignette with him a couple years later. I'm like, let's lean into it, man. Let's uh, let's do the beginning of of Steven Seagal's Hard to Kill, where like he's in Japan and he's like training other guys and he's like putting all the insets needles into his body and meditating. Let's put you in a gi manny let's go the whole way like you were in the orient you learned how to do all these things to survive when you're in vietnam i would absolutely have done that uh done that vignette done that promo next is a rundown for the great american bash 85 my favorite part of this is the Uh hyping of david allen co oh yeah have i told you my david allen co story uh, I don't know if you have. I have uh, I have several of them because he played at Ziggy's in Winston-Salem, North yeah. Carolina, religiously. Yeah, no. Um, my first year at UVA, I've told this story on the show before, so people mm-hmm. may have to just indulge me here. But my, I, I hung around with the kids from southwestern Virginia because they were more salt-of-the-earth type people at UVA versus, like, the white-collar blue bloods from northern Virginia. Right, my right. buddy Brew goes, come on, Hawkins, we're going to tracks. And, okay, cool. It was a David Allen Coe concert. So we go there. David Allen Coe is at least 45 minutes late to go on stage. Oh, that's, that's early for him. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I can't, I can't remember the exact time, but he comes on. He's obviously hammered. Oh, yeah. He picks up his guitar. He starts tuning it a little bit, you know, playing some notes. He starts to try to go into a song. He just looks up at the crowd, says, fuck you all, and just walks off the stage. Mm-hmm. And we're all just kind of standing there shocked. And my friend Brew goes, Hawkins, it's the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's an amazing story. And uh, what would be nice for you then is if you go back, uh, the second movie that I directed, Angry White Man, the one I did mm-hmm. with like Bob Harrison and Brian Mandel and all those guys, uh, <clears throat> um, Scoot McNary and all that, uh, when uh, country legend uh, Bulldog Hayes, who's being played by uh, – Matt Berry, when he comes out uh, to do his first concert, that they've they've like drone all these miles to like go and see him play. It is a very it is based off a David Allen Coe thing, where like he's okay. so drunk he can't remember his songs, and he just flips off the audience. He goes "fuck me, fuck you" and leaves. That is a hundred percent a David Allen Coe thing, and that's why me and Bob put it in. Do you have a few extra minutes to uh, say? <clears throat> I know you gotta be out the door. Yeah, I could do another like ten or fifteen. So okay. just just so you can get through the episode for sure. Yeah, yeah, no. Um, we'll try not to go that long. I know you gotta go, but um, next up, oh, uh, the other thing I'd really love is this is because uh, Great American Bash '85 is pretty much my first videotape I ever rented for wrestling. Mm-hmm. Ole and Arn versus Dick Slater and Buzz Sawyer as baby faces. Yeah, this insane. This insane. blew my mind. And then they kind of make a callback to it in 89 
when JTEX forms and they bring back both Slater and Buzz Sawyer to join against the Andersons? Mm-hmm. It, 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 it's, I, I realize that it's like, oh, it's a four-year callback. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> The Buzz Sawyer, uh, as I mean, it's has been put on record many times. It's probably like one of the worst human beings in that mm-hmm. locker room ever. But those fuzzy boots and him just like selling his ass off. It's just kind of thing of like Ole Ole Anderson just must have just fucking loved him. Just must have loved him because <laughs> he's always in there. He shows up in Georgia. He's always in an angle that has something to do with Ole. Like those guys just loved each other. Yeah. Yeah, and okay, after that, Sam Houston, my favorite guy to ever watch get beat up. I loved watching Sam Houston get his ass kicked. It is the greatest thing on NWA TV, but here, here they're putting him over as a young, hot babyface who's with Magnum mm. and Dusty. Yeah. Also has the sweetest bulldog just because of his height. Oh, and his bulldog. Get, yeah. Yeah, his bulldog is great. Uh, I love that they, they work in the uh, the cartwheel. Like, oh, what a fancy move. This young spry, <laughs> very athletic man. The bulldog is great uh, because it sort of reminds me of like when uh, when uh, when Barry Windham was doing Blackjack Mulligan Jr. and him being so tall and lanky uh, and doing those like big bulldogs, like where it just they go just clear across ring diagonally it just looks so good especially when uh houston's got those uh like those red and white boots on but like i agree with you um when i i wrote about sam houston for uprocks and uh, the first thing i went to i spent like half of it just talking about the th- uh the six man tag that they had uh at the great american bash that same year and there is a, there is a clothesline that abdul the butcher that puts on sam that he literally goes all the way around. He does a full 360 spin in the air, and he's just like just like he's made out of rubber, like he's Gumby, and he just just lands, and it just looks like Abdullah murdered him. And he's and it's most of the match is him in the corner just getting his ass beat, and it's perfect. Like you just you he's everyone talks about you know. Ricky Morton being like, you know, the best, you know, baby face in peril of all time. And then the hot tag to Robert Gibson. But like Sam Houston's right up there with oh, yeah. me, man. Yeah, right I, up there. Yeah, it's a, it's a shame he he had to leave when he did because he started dating Baby Doll. And then he goes to the WWF and has that kind of eh, feud with Ron Bass and then really goes yeah. nowhere after that. And then the uh, the family disease kicks in and mm-hmm. he has uh, just, a, just a real just real tough life, man. I'm just kind of glad that he's like. Yeah, he sort of like made it out the other side, at least for a while. He there. was on a show <laughs> last year. He did mm-hmm. an appearance at a show, and I'm like, good for him, man. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have to be that's full another... time, but, it, but people still want to say hi occasionally. Yeah, that's another interesting made documentary that he's in. I think he was a little inspired by uh, the resurrection of Jake the Snake Roberts, and so he yeah. did one for himself. He's got, like a, he's got like a big goatee in that one. It's weird. I'm like, who are you? Next, we get a rather subdued Tully Blanchard and Baby Doll interview. Uh, to me, th- this kind of signals, I mean, 84, Tully was all over this TV as the main heel, just just feuding with everybody from oh, yeah. Flair to Steamboat to Valiant. To, I mean, he was, and this is about mm-hmm. the time in 85 when Flair is permanently a Crockett guy. So Tully kind of has to get moved down kind of to that second tier and the, the world the, television title, baby. No yeah, better, no better oh, owner of the world television title than Tully Blanchard. I, I agree. I might argue Arn was a little bit better, but um, here it, it, it's kind of well, it, it's it's kind of weird because the feud hasn't started with 
with Magnum yet because they got to get through Dusty at the bash. For but sure. I loved Cottle shaming him here. Like, yeah, like, oh yeah. like Lance Russell would used to in Memphis and, Oh, I'm so disappointed. And Tully never misses a beat with these kinds of things. Oh, you're disappointed. Well, that's just too bad. Yeah. And my, my favorite thing about this was when, cause he, he's going through this promo. It's kind of a, it, it's a, it's, it's not the greatest Tully promo in the world, but still pretty good. And then he gets to the, Oh, you're, so you're the judge of the jury and the hangman. And he breaks down Roy Bean. And we all know what happened. <laughs> and we all know yeah. what happened to Roy Bean. And I just sat there and I went, what happened to Roy? B- oh, yeah, that's right. I'm like, oh, look, Tully's being educational to the children. You know, like, I'm, <laughs> I'm like, I almost had to Google it because I couldn't remember what happened to Roy Bean. And then eventually, oh, yeah, that's what happened to Roy Bean. I guess we were more historically literate in the mid 80s, you know, before technology really took over our lives. Wikipedia in your house like if you if you needed like settle a bet or something like that you like everyone would like go like gotta go to the encyclopedia like it was just because you had encyclopedia salesmen mm-hmm. and if you didn't <clears throat> if you didn't have like an encyclopedia it was like even in the trashiest most white trash homes everyone had one you got to because that's how you showed that you like you were educated you were dignified you had a you had to have an encyclopedia and you had to have an illustrated bible uh my f- two favorite parts uh of this uh promo is that Richard like sort of slips into some some little uh some little flairisms, some mm-hmm. Rick Flairisms here and there, which uh, immediately reminded me of like uh you know, Stroud always says that, you know, Tully Blanchard is the best uh like low rent Rick Flair of all oh, yeah. time. No, 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 no. Yeah, it's great. I, that, my, his gimmick to me is the guy who wants to be Rick Flair but can't quite pull it off. You know, oh, he's, yeah. he's the guy who'd go to the department store and buy a suit because he couldn't afford to get it custom made, but he would still, you know, oh, look at this nice suit I have. Yeah, no, mm-hmm. that's exactly it. And that's where kind of kind of the, you can also then buy kind of the anti-establishment type of promo that he'd always kind of cut. He'd, there was always that little undercurrent of just hate in his promo yeah. that makes it so good. It's always what I want the Miz to be. I, I wish he'd just sit down and watch all the Tully tapes he could because that, that to me is, is what the Miz should is that be today. Little... Yeah. There's just that little part of him just kind of deep down eating out of that little insecurity that he knows he's not as good. Mm-hmm. He knows he's not as good as Ric Flair. So that's why he joined up with the horseman and James J. Dillon and all that shit. My personal favorite of watching that promo is seeing baby doll tower over both of them. Oh yeah, dude, you're she like, was huge. You're like, I was like, oh, that's right. Former shot, you know, collegiate shot put champion. Like, that makes sense. There she is. Yeah, I have no problem with the female bodyguard gimmick. I loved it because it was Mm -hmm. always kind of like towing that line that we talked about earlier in the show. Yeah. And so now we get to the uh, Flair getting challenged by Nikita. But at the same time, Buddy Landell is entering the territory. The Mm -hmm. other nature boy. And so during the course of... We're watching the tape, and Ric Flair is uh, is putting over. He's putting over Buddy Landell when he should be talking about Nikita in his squash. It's, it's the. Yep. I mean, if if we're judging this by today's standards, we're like, what are you doing? He asked <clears throat> you about Buddy Land or about Nikita, and he, all you're doing is talking about Buddy Landell. Yeah, it was a little, little weird for me because it's like. I mean, like, I, I definitely remember that. I was like, oh, yeah, this this is starting to come back to me. This is so memorable. It's. Uh, it's probably like I usually don't mind these type 
of Ric Flair promos where he's like, you know, not super crazy. He's doing this sort of like where he does the rundown stuff of like, mm-hmm. let me tell you something, buddy. You're going to be that. All right. Take it. But I'll tell you that again. He, he goes a little bit back into like his old like Minneapolis pre uh, pre blonde hair and all the, you know, the limousine jet riding. And it's probably one of like his least successful promos for that very reason is because it's like you can see he's kind of like trying to force the thing like uh you're real pretty but i'm going to teach you about being pretty but i'm also going to teach you about how to be this and how to be this and then boy at that time then you'll know what it means to be pretty and that's where the promo ends and you're like what the fuck what uh <laughs> i guess yeah okay <clears throat> now buddy landell is weird to me because when i was a kid and watching it i just thought low rent rick flair and I didn't realize he had Flair's blessing, or supposedly did. There's two stories. One is yeah. that Buddy Rogers gave him the Nature Boy name. The other is that Ric Flair really kind of blessed him to be the next Nature Boy or something like that to to do this type of program. Because to me, now having watched, you know, kind of history and stuff, to me the best Buddy Landell was the the late end of his Mid-South career where he ends up selling Butch Reed into to Skandar Akbar, which is just full of racially problematic oh, yeah. overtones and then oh, 100%. and then the redemption story in Smoky Mountain where he's still aligned with Cornette and he's you know he's basically doing squash matches against Shawn Michaels who comes into the territory to be him but he's also kind of He's he's had his reckoning with with how he destroyed his career with drugs and alcohol, and he's kind of giving those he's giving mm-hmm. a menacing promo, but with the air of realism beneath it, and he's so good and Smoky Mountain around. I think it's ninety two or ninety three. Man, he is fantastic there. Yeah, when I got the network, one of the first things I did was watch all of the Smoky Mountains from from beginning to end because I was just like, ah, there it is. Because <laughs> I didn't get have- to watch any of that stuff at the time. It was weird because when I was in college, it would play, but you'd only get like once every three weeks. It was so sporadic. And when you could get it, it was like, oh, man, this is awesome. But yeah, they never uh, for for whatever reason, uh, we never we never got even though North Carolina was definitely part of the Smoky Mountain. We didn't have we didn't get it on television there, which was really a bummer. It was a little bit too far maybe for you guys because we we had it in Virginia and even Virginia was a little. I mean, it was mostly Tennessee. And and kind of the, yeah. and, and then and then Harrisonburg would uh, in Virginia and Lynchburg and places like that in, Virgi- in Western Virginia would get the shows. I mean, they really didn't put too much out there in terms of syndication. Although some stations would do it, but I think it was just the changing marketplace where mm-hmm. eventually they started to have to pay the stations to run it versus vice versa. Yeah, yeah. Once uh, once the that's really where it all kind of in is like where when cable came in. And it sort of st- it sort of got flipped. And once once television stations realized that they could charge you to put it on versus you know paying the wrestling like that that's that's part of what killed the territories as well. It's it's a small part. Everyone likes to go like oh Vince Vince, but I'm like a lot of stuff was changing and happening the same way that's changing and happening now. Where it's like you know a Twitch stream is no different to uh, you know a 19 year old wrestling fan a millennial watching. Watching House of Hardcore or something like that on a Twitch feed versus watching on your television makes no difference to them because then the the single input is the same. It's all the same. Then we get a J.J. Dillon and Buddy Landell promo. Uh, This is J.J. before the Horseman, so he's wearing kind of he's wearing the brown and Mm -hmm. cream tux with the dicky 
man, Ric Flair used to kill him on promos during this time and during this feud. Mm-hmm. If you watch the 605s, he's calling him Porter Wagner from the Grand Old Opry. Yeah. Just Google that dude, and you, you'll you see the resemblance. But watching J.J. go against Flair and talking about the beak, oh, it's a little surreal. <laughs> it's so weird because it's like... I've never seen anyone. I've I've never heard anyone go after Ric Flair's appearance because it's always the thing of like Ric Flair's like I can get any woman I want anywhere in the world just like that. But when he does the nose and there's like long way around promos to be like, so you can get you a job and so you can hang from that big beak from the branch and you'll be the only man in Georgia that can pick peaches with two hands. You're like, <laughs> what? What is that? Like you thought that ahead? Be like, yeah, yeah, I'm gonna go out there and say that. I also like. I also like this one because uh, on on the worldwide one that I watched on uh, line that I didn't like I watch on YouTube and not on the network. Uh, the best part of that is like when Ron Bass just loses his shit and like goes after Buddy Landell and there's like oh we well, got some that's, mis- that's the <clears throat> face turn then the same week as they they do the six man match to kind of intro you know yeah. the unified uh, JJ stable which is next and they do this. Just to get through it, it, they do this to bookend the Ric Flair match where both guys mm-hmm. are winning the match with the figure four, which is a cool way to storytell and very, story very time. Bill Watts, very Bill Watts type of stuff. Yeah, and then you've, it's, that's just that old-fashioned storytelling that like wrestling desperately needs, especially in the WWE, which, again, that's why you go back to The Miz. With The Miz gets it, man. Like he, When Daniel Bryan was out for all that time and we didn't think he was ever going to be able to have a blow-off match against The Miz after The Miz cut that promo on the yes kicks, right? And then like the knee to the corner, but like to stay up there and like, make sure he fixes his hair. I'm like, that's just old school wrestling. Like that used to be the thing. Like if you stole a guy's move, that was like in Dusty's move was always like get burned in the months. Uh, Bill Watts thing always had to have someone that was humiliated or embarrassed. Cause that like, there was nothing worse that like, well, like when they tarred and feathered Magnum P uh, Magnum TA in South, he was like, I've never been more embarrassed. In my life, like, the stealing of the move thing is something that I always, always love. And when you have – especially when you have it, like, used against the guy. So, yeah, they're building where they have both of them use the figure four. And it's such easy storytelling because it's like, all right, when these guys finally get into a ring together, who's going to be able to put the figure four on who first? And you know there's going to be a bunch of, like, false false finishes and maybe they get it off, but he'll kick the guy in the butt first. And, like, that just – that's just good old fashioned storytelling. That's why that's why wrestling works. Yeah, unfortunately, they they never got to the big blow off match. <clears throat> they did it on house shows, but because of the Buddy yeah. Mandel failing the drug test before, t- or not failing the drug test, but just getting high and not showing up to TV tapings, yeah. they eventually had to just put the kibosh on this. But this then leads into one of my other favorite gimmicks because because whenever somebody gets hurt or gets beat up, you gotta go find a veteran to bring back into the territory. And they bring back one of the best, one of my favorite presents. He's not the best promo in the world, but they bring in Wahoo McDaniel, who always has that tough guy heft and that tough Mm -hmm. guy legitimacy. And to me, he's one of those guys like uh, Manny, but even more so Dick Murdoch, where it doesn't matter if he's face or heel. His gimmick is the same. He's just ornery and cranky. Yeah. And he's just going to beat you up. And it's going to be brutal. But I loved 
this promo, it calls back to the 84 to just last year when he was a heel. And he, I like heels that re- or baby faces who remember, yeah, I used to be not a nice guy. I'm <clears> going <throat> to try and be better this time. Mm-hmm. But my friend needs help. I loved everything about this little promo. Yeah, it's just a great way to end the episode, too, with like a little just taped, uh, you know, pre-taped uh, little medium close-up interview, just very solemn, very do this. And you talk and go again, just you know, kind of the last thing before we wrap up here because I got to head out. But uh, Wahoo just being Wahoo, like, like his gimmick is who he is. He was tough. He got kicked out of the NFL for fighting too much. Then he went and opened a bar and then got arrested for beating up too many people in his bar. <clears throat> I mean, like all that stuff, like the heavy hand strikes and just ornery and just like slow moving and beating guys up. Like that was just the great thing about Wahoo. And so when you have like, and eventually when they got to, uh, when they got to, they got to the feud between Magnum and Wahoo, like that was the thing that really like sort of, made Magnum, quote-unquote, a man and, like, up-and-comer because, like, oh, my God, he beat Wahoo McDaniel in a steel cage. Holy shit, you know? Yeah, no, no. Wahoo would make guys with with, with the tough guy matches because he would just beat the crap out of you. I mean, Tony Schiavone tells a story where they went to a Bennigan's after a match, and, 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 and they, yeah, that's a staple of the 80s, and these two female fans were just razzing on Wahoo after, like, a tough night at a match for turning heel and stuff, and he smacks them, and he tells Tony, get out of here, I'll handle the cops, and you're just like, my God, if that kind of thing happened today, but, mm-hmm. I mean, that's just who Wahoo was, I mean, he's he's just this this ornery, angry you know, former athlete now doing this. I mean, go watch his promos from 84 when he turns heel and joins Tully and he's talking about, oh, give him a beer and he'll be a good little Indian. I mean, this dude was angry all the time. Yeah, he was like, it. it's not so much that like his gimmick changed or the way he worked in the ring changed. They just changed the okay. Mm-hmm. Promo is no different than his babyface promo, with the exception of maybe like four or five words. Like just the words of the, just the names of the wrestlers he's saying he's gonna fight, uh, which is great because it's like it's sort of weird, like having you know watching Ric Flair try and like thread that needle of being that tweener, and then ya- and then Wahoo being there and just like no, that's just that is that is the tweener of all time. <clears throat> so that when later on those days where you get to like Stone Cold or like you know best possible version of randy orton where he's like kind of a heel but everyone still loves him because the rko was over like that that all goes back to wahoo that's how it made it pay that 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 sort of paved the path for that well i've name dropped you enough on this show over the four years i've done it it was great to have you here no now now, well now what i want you to do is i want you to plug everything from your movies to whatever projects to whatever social media you choose because God knows I've tagged you enough in posts on Twitter and, and whatnot that pe- and, and talked about our improv shows, one of which we did last night. Yeah, and, good and one. just and just and just just tell the people who the hell you are. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> well, I thank you, sir. Uh, so yeah, Brian James O'Connell. You can find my website. Uh, it's boc dot com. dot com. That's where I've got like my movies and stuff, and where you can hire me. Uh, yeah, I directed a couple of movies, Angry White Man, that you can see, uh, you know, you can get from iTunes or, uh, you know, anywhere on demand. Uh, Blood Sucking Bass is the most recent one uh, that I made with uh, my improv group, Dr. God, that Jeff is very good friends with as well. Uh, that's got uh, Kranz from Cabin, Pascal from uh, Gamer 
for <clears throat> Joey Kern, Joel Murray, uh, Emily Fitzpatrick, like all the good stuff. Uh, and some of our friends, Beth Russell and um, Marshall Southern. Uh, uh, that's, on, that's on Showtime currently, but also you can get that uh, pretty much anywhere on demand. Uh, and then just, yeah, the Pack Theater, uh, packtheater.com. Uh, that's where I'm one of the co-founders over there with me and my, uh, Jeff's uh, mentor, Miles Stroth. We are both very much Miles Stroth acolytes. Uh, yeah, just uh, we got a couple of things. Uh, Dr. God has a couple of things coming up, but I can't really talk about it yet. So uh, stay, stay tuned for that as well. And on Twitter, I'm at B3OC. It's the same thing on Instagram. And it's the same thing on Snapchat if I was on Snapchat because I'm too old and I could never figure out how to get to work. <laughs> and it was stupid. So <clears throat> that's, that's, uh, that's all the stuff you can find me. Okay, thanks a lot. Thank you, brother. At Shake Them Ropes for this week, you can follow the show at Shake Them Ropes, all one word. You can follow me at Crap Game 13. You can follow host in absentia Rob McCarran at Rob from Indiana. You can follow our guest Brian James O'Connell at B3OC. His plug's got a little garbled out there, but uh, I highly encourage you to go out there. I believe it's on Showtime or Cinemax still. It may have been recently taken off, but uh, Blood Sucking Bastards. Very funny office space meets vampire comedy. Go out there and uh, rent Angry White Man with Scoot McNary that he directed. Um, Not Scoot, but Brian. And um, the Peck Theater. If you're in Los Angeles and looking to take improv classes, look that up. I'm Jeff Hawkins. We'll see you next week. In a world of one million wrestling podcasts, there is a new shining star with great interviews, analysis, music, and, and me, Matt Coon, on total engagement. Go to any podcast platform to listen today. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.